This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com or just search for Minty and Friend on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to The Way We Roll with me, Simon Minty. And me, Phil Friend. We are going to get straight into it. Mr. Friend, are you bruised? Mr. Minty. <clears throat> yes, I'm not. I, well, when you asked me that before we started recording, I said to you, I'm not feeling great. And the reason I'm not feeling great is because yesterday I went out for a very nice meal with some good friends and uh, decided to visit the loo uh, after the meal, which I did, and promptly um, fell out of my wheelchair and got trapped in the toilet. <clears throat> and I was a bit smashed up, to be honest. I, I normally bounce. I didn't bounce very well this time. So I've, I've bruised and battered myself a bit. Um, but otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> but the, the drama was, um, it took me about three quarters of an hour or so to get out and get back in my chair, which was a nightmare. And, of course, guess what? Where was the alarm called? Uh, well, of course, it was on top of the cistern, which is not reachable when you're lying on the floor trapped between your wheelchair and the toilet bowl. A little shout out to Ewan's guide people who are the other ones who put the notes on those alarm cords in the accessible loo saying, please let it go to the ground because we need it for circumstances like this. Um, yeah. You, you, I don't know how often you do fall. I mean, both of us trip and fall because it's part of our condition. But um, this one sounds a bit more serious and that sounds like a long time. Were you, were you trapped? How did you feel? Were you in pain? Yeah. Well, I, I was... I wasn't hurt in the sense of the fall. I, b I banged my head on the yeah. system and stuff, but I wasn't. My head is incredibly thick. <laughs> so well. I, um, anyway, I didn't break anything or anything like that, but I was in a bad way because I was trapped between my chair and the, the toilet bowl. And the only way I could get back in was I've used a power chair and it's got leg raisers on it. So what I was able to do was get onto the foot plates where your feet normally go and reached behind me to the controller on the chair. I had no idea what the settings were, so I had to go through all the joystick moving things until it did what I wanted it to do, and then it raised the leg rests up with me sitting on them. So that got me to a height. I was off the floor now, but I still – then what I was able to do was to reverse the chair away with me stuck on the end of the footrests. So it dragged me across the room, and of course – all this is going on. I'm in front of the door, so I can't, I can't turn or anything. Anyway, with a lot of pushing and shoving and heaving and whatever, I managed to get back into the seat. Um, but it took an awful. And the thing is, I, you know, I forget that I'm getting older and my strength isn't what it used to be. So, um, yeah, not not pleasant. Um, no permanent damage. I've wrecked, I've wrecked my bicep in my arm, so I've torn a muscle somewhere. But otherwise, I'm I'm all right, really. You're sort of being naturally contradictory. I said, "Oh, I'm completely fine," and then there's a horrible. Yeah, I am well, <clears throat> it could have been a lot worse. I could have been in serious danger. You know, I could have broken something, and I didn't. I am so sorry this happened, and it, I'm going to ask how in a moment because it it sounds horrible, and it's it's both physical but emotional. It shakes you up. Um, I think it's very real. When you were doing your manoeuvre to get back up, which I totally empathise with, it's sort of finding what tools you've got and make the best of it. Uh, 
the idea of someone like your wife Sue being there watching would you be mortified or would that be helpful I would just I don't want anyone there I want to just work this out myself because I'm feeling a bit humiliated a bit shamed a bit all that crappy stuff yeah no I uh, yeah there's two two things there first is absolutely you feel an idiot how did I do that what was I thinking kind of thing um but the other is the reality is that if Sue had been there, she couldn't have done anything because she's not strong enough either. Sue couldn't have lifted me or done anything like that. And and I thought the only good news about this story is that the toilet door opened outwards. So they could have got in and two or three people with a bit of strength would have been able to get me back in the chair. Having said that, they would have had to have somehow it had a drop down lever on my side of the door that locks it. You know, the thing yeah. I mean, they're yeah. very useful. They're really easy to operate, but I didn't check when I came out, whether they had a device which would open that from the outside, because if they didn't have, they'd have to smash the door off. So it was kind of, and this is the logistics you go through while well, I'm lying on the floor. I'm thinking, okay, alarm called, can't reach it. Uh, can I get the door open? No, can't reach that. I've done the physical check. Nothing's broken. I'm not in agony anywhere. I've got blood in my mouth. So I've obviously bitten my tongue or something and I've got bang on my head, but I'm, I'm okay. So you do that. You kind of go through this checklist, which bits of me have fallen off. None of them. And then you do what you just said. You think, okay, so how do I do this bit? Could I reach that? Would this work if I did that? And you just go through this process. Um, but it was very, very tiring. <laughs> Well done for locking the door. The amount of accessible loos I've just walked in because people don't lock the blooming door is so embarrassing. It's awkward. You get to see all sorts. So I'm glad you did. But um, you said you were reaching to flush the loo. Was that the, the moment of tumble? Yeah. Well, well, I never stand up in toilets except at home because it's not the only toilet I feel safe standing in is my own. So I use a bottle like many other wheelchair users. So I'd done that and I'd poured the bottle into the loo. I reached forwards and I've got my feet on the floor. I've lifted the foot plates up. My feet are on the floor. So as I re lean forward to flush the loo, my right leg shoots away and that just f fires me out of the chair. And, of course, what I hadn't seen was the toilet floor was wet and it's, it's marble, so it's kind of – so I, I – <laughs> I can I can play it all back in my head and see exactly what I did and how I could have avoided it. So fellow disabled person, okay, it's occupational hazard. This comes with a territory. Pretend to be not disabled person. What have you learned? What are you not going to do? How are you going to change your life now? Well, first things first, I'm staying in bed all day forever. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's the nuclear option. Yeah. The other option is to do everything I did but check. I mean – Sue said to me, why flush the toilet? That's why. But it's, yeah, and you said that too. I mean, it's just a habit, isn't it? We're in the habit of flushing loos. So if I'm, first thing first is check the alarm cord. Um, and normally, as you said, they're tied up. So untie it. But this one wasn't, un it wasn't tied up. It was, it was, it was cut short. Yeah. I mean, it was above the cistern. It was useless. Um, so check that. And then you kind of think, well, am I going to take the risk at all of even going to the loo? Just, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to stop going out. Come on. I'm, I'm you know, we get, we're going to go out. Well, we'll do and stuff. Also, also I'm thinking one day support worker it could be that when you and I used to go out a lot, 
we'd always hang around for the other. So yeah. whether there's a little rule now, you go, I'm, whoever I'm with, they've got to wait 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long, as long as you're not doing the crossword or something on the loo, that would be a bit painful to wait for. <laughs> but they, they wait till you're out type thing. It's the same as whenever I go out with family, we all wait until all the cars have started moving. No one ever drives off until we know all the other cars are moving. I mean, it's ridiculous because cars are pretty modern and reliable, but I feel it's almost a bit like that etiquette now. You just make sure no one's safe until we're all safe. Yes, that's right. And we leave no one behind, you know, that's sort of, yeah, the commando motives or whatever. No, I think think there's a couple of things I would add. One is um, my phone. I happen to have an iPhone, which has got a sensor in it, which if you fall while you're holding it would trigger an alarm. Uh, that was on the chair, so it didn't register that I'd fallen. I wasn't wearing my Apple Watch, and the reason I wasn't is because I get irritated by my Apple Watch because it's always alerting me to something. And uh, as you know, I haven't I haven't bothered to turn things off on it. So rather than use it, I use my ordinary mechanical watch. Had I been wearing that, um, I it would have it would have sent an alarm, and I might have allowed it to because Sue would have answered, um, or I could have used it to uh, r- ring the restaurant I was in and say, look, I'm stuck in your toilet, da-dum-da-dum-da-dum. Uh, I'm glad you said that because it's, it's a bit like a film and everyone's listening to this going, why didn't he phone someone? Why didn't he phone someone? Yeah, exactly. You couldn't. I mean, that, that's the point. Um, I'm never without my iPhone, but when you fall, of course, it's then out of my reach. Oh. It was in the chair. Now, I just realized you could have said, hey, Siri, call Simon. I could have done that, but I wouldn't have known if it worked. Well, you would. I'd have said, I'm busy, Phil. What are you calling me about? <laughs> you, and it would have got awkward. I wouldn't Simon, I'm lying here trapped in a toilet <laughs> near Paddington. What about you getting uh, getting over it? To, I'm training, no, I'm, Phil. I'm in the middle of a training <laughs> course. <What are> you? <laughs> yes, yes. I've got 60 delegates here hanging on my every word. <laughs> uh, Actually, saying that my friend Steve lives very near to where you were, he would have come round and helped you. Uh, and you know I, I think, uh, uh, of course, what would you do in the in, in the end? What you'd do is you'd call an ambulance, wouldn't you? You'd call someone like the police, yeah. and they'd sort the bloody thing out. And I, because I wasn't injured, um, I mean, the nightmare for me is if I'd been unconscious, if I'd really done something far more serious, I'd just have laid there. That that would have been me done. Um, and that goes that, back that's a scary bit yeah it is and that's where i get a bit nervous about that you know maybe your rule is well i'm not going to leave you until i know we're all leaving together and to be honest that works for me too i think it's a nice polite thing to do um uh, we, you know we overcompensate sometimes but i i am really sorry it happened and it it terrifies me because i've got a little bit of empathy but it terrifies me just for you going through that and it's it's that we're not invincible we're disabled but we still think we're invincible uh it for me it's kind of because i'm now in a powered chair all the time and i never fall out of it it's not something i do i have felt really safe i mean if i'm out somewhere really uh, i don't know a hill or something and i've misjudged how steep it is or something it's my own stupid fault if i fall out but in a toilet sitting down i am feeling pretty safe and and yesterday was an example of don't get too confident matey because gravity is always sitting there waiting <laughs> it's sort of linked and i thought of you the other day in the shower 
uh, I was in Bristol staying at a hotel and I opted for the accessible room. And so it had the wet room and it had a seat, a shower stool. What are they called? Shower chairs? Yes, shower chairs. Yeah. And I thought, hello, I've not really done this properly. So I thought I'll use this. This looks quite nice. I quite like the idea of it all. Um, I, I haven't worked. There must be some skill because using a shower chair is great until certain parts of your body you want to wash. How do you wriggle about? What do you do to make sure you can be clean all over? Well, I've grabbed rails in my bathroom. Ah, okay. So I can hold on to a rail and lift my buttercup or whatever it is I'm trying to wash. Buttercup. Um, you say buttercup. buttercup. My little buttercup. Um, my buttercup. <laughs> I see what I've done there and I didn't even see it. Um, I the, 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 the difficult thing actually is getting your chair out the way so it doesn't get soaked ah. while you're showering. And, of course, shower curtains are a pain because they tangle up and get stuck to you and all this stuff. So I don't have a shower curtain at home at all. I have to. I have the ability to use my joystick to push the chair far enough away from the shower so it doesn't get wet. Um, And then I have a floor cleaner, which I use, positioned right next to me. So when I've showered and the floor's wet, um, I then wipe it over with this cloth on the end of a – it's basically a squeegee. I use that. That gets the excess water that's there. And then I don't – then I move my chair back to the shower chair so I can transfer – but then I don't trail water through the house because if yeah. I get the wheels wet, that you know. So, so it's all logistics. It's all thinking these things through and saying, right, I'll do this now. Then, I, and, and I'll tell you something: if I do one thing out of sequence, it doesn't work. Yeah, I have to position the towels on the rail to a point where I can reach across and reach them. If I forget to do that, I can't dry myself. I have complete empathy with that. And you, you swear at yourself, I've forgotten part of the system. Yeah. And it's yeah. so annoying. Uh, but also, sometimes you're tired or you're absent-minded. Or it, it, um, Okay, so I realise the issue, my issue is not the issue for you. Yours is about transfer and the chair. Because I could yeah. walk into the shower room. Um, yeah. that I didn't have to worry about any kit. I, the, the shower curtains are weird. They stop, you know, my midriff. I mean, they're, they're so <laughs> high off the ground. But I thought a wet room, the whole point of a wet room is you don't have to have shower curtains. It splash everything. No. That's that's right, and and they allow. Usually, they're big, so you've got enough room. For example, normally, you know, a support worker would be in there with you. You'd shower. They'd come in and they'd do whatever they may. Even for, for most severely disabled people, because they shower them, they wash them, they get them and transfer. And there might be hoists and all sorts of bits of equipment used. I haven't reached that level, and I'm still independent enough in the shower myself. But I go through. So if I'm staying in a hotel like you were in Bristol and I'm in a wet room, I have to work out how my system now works in that place because it's a different layout. I'll have the space, but maybe the towels, I've got to put the towels on my wheelchair because I can't, you know, it's all this kind of stuff. You made me think also the shower chair they had is quite high. So for me to sit on it, I'm actually resting against it with my feet on the ground. I'm not really sitting on it. Or I've got to jump up so my feet are dangling. And because I was resting against it, and I'm in water. I was thinking, what well, if this slides away? And I'm sure it isn't because it's rubber and the floor is grippy. But I think that was my hesitation. I, and I, it, it, I was sort of half in and half out. I thought, oh, I like this, but I haven't quite worked out how to use it properly. But yeah. um, uh, I think the other thing is that I don't have, which you will have, is how slippery is the floor. Yeah. 
I don't have any issues about that because I'm not actually standing on it or using my legs in any way. So for you on a nice, these beautiful shower rooms that people construct and you go in them and they're like skating rinks. The minute water goes on them, it's, and soap, I mean, come on, it's just, I have a, I'd worry about you slipping. That would be my worry for you. I, once a week, my cleaner comes uh, and she's brilliant, Adelma, and she will clean the floor as in vacuum it and everything. And then she gives it this squeegee to polish it or whatever it is. And it's wet. And yeah. <laughs> I walk into the room with a phone and a glass of water and suddenly I go, oh, and I, <laughs> and I tiptoe. And she always laughs because I suddenly come to a complete stop and walk like I'm 208 and I do little pigeon steps. There's no way I'm going to walk across that. Uh, it terrifies I, me. I, I think the worst falls I can remember having when I was on crutches and much younger and I was, you and I were working together and I'd gone off somewhere and I pulled into a garage to fill my car up. It was diesel and there was, it was raining and I got out of my car, stood up on my crutches, walked round towards the pump and never saw this pool of diesel and I put my stick in it and it, I just shot across. The worst bit about that wasn't the fact that I'd hurt myself because I had, was it was sliding on my face with my suit and whatever through diesel oil. And I can remember getting up. God knows how people came across and helped me. And I got back in my car and I was completely covered in fuel oil. And I've never forgotten it. It was and diesel doesn't come off stuff. It yeah. stinks. Yeah. Luckily, I was on my way home, not to a gig. Otherwise, I'd have been. I don't know what I'd have done. But that combination of oil and water and soap and water have been my nightmares are full of falling in those kinds of environments. Thank you for listening to the way we roll with Simon Minty and Phil Friend. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. I have a topic I'd like to, I think I've raised this in the things to look forward to. It's getting very close now. It is a television drama called Then Barbara Met Allen. It's going to be on BBC Two in the UK. And it's the story of two cabaret stars from the disability arts scene who met and fought for disability rights. Um, I think this is sort of 80s, 90s, maybe early 90s. And it's this rabble rousing. They set up the Direct Action Network, which you remember, Dan. Um, it, this was slightly before my time. I know the people. I know Barbara Lazicki uh, and Johnny Crescendo or Alan Holdsworth. And I met them loads and they're terrifying <laughs> as well as brilliant in their own way. Um, and now we've got a T, it's one of those, it's a historical drama. So there's, you know, a bit of creativity in the script. Jack Thorne, who is brilliant, uh, and Genevieve Barr have written it. They're both disabled people. One's a deaf person. I'm very excited about this. Have you? Yeah, they, they're using disabled actors too, aren't they? Um, Bloody right. Ruth Madeley, Ruth Madeley, and uh, Jack Thorne, as you say. I, when I did know them, uh, I was around when they were doing their rabble rousing. I wasn't quite part of that. I was never direct action in the way they were. I, yeah. I you know, I, I kind of went to things that they were. They'd usually been at first, you know, caused mayhem. Um, but yeah, I, I, and Barbara, like you, Barbara, of course, Alan went to America, didn't he? He's living in America now. He's um, in Philadelphia. I even stayed at his house yeah. with Liz Carr and Joe Church many months right. ago. 
and he's got his family and everything and Barbara and he are uh, no longer together but of course at this time we're talking about they were very much together yeah. and I, what I remember too was the discussions a lot of discussions around women and campaigning and stuff because most of the famous if you like quote question mark famous were um male wheelchair users paraplegics were you know do you remember we did the the film about the crip camp in america and yeah, so on yeah and um we weren't we didn't do that here but but there were similar things and there was a lot of discussions barbara particularly was very keen to raise the issues about sexism and stuff within disability movement itself so you know it was yeah they were an extraordinary pair and of course choices and rights the song that yeah. uh Johnny Crescendo, Alan Holdsworth put together was became an anthem, you know. Choices and rights in her life. I put a little accent on, which you don't have. Sorry about that. Uh, um, and Baroness Jane Campbell, that was one of her songs on Desert Island yep. Discs. Um, Jack Thorne put uh, Spasticus Autisticus on his Desert Island Discs. Um, which the bit, here's my bit. I think I'm going to watch it, and it is a bit like UK Crip Camp. But later, late 80s, early 90s, I'm going to get goose pimples because it was a radical, in your face, just, I mean, terrifying for other people time. Um, and, you know, probably I wouldn't, I would have been too nervous or hesitant. I couldn't have done what they did, but they needed to do it to get it on the agenda. And then there were the pragmatists like uh, yourself or me that might have to go in and have a conversation afterwards. Cause if you bang the drum so loud that you can't then have a conversation with somebody, it, it can stall itself. Um, and I've always felt a slight privilege in the sense that, um, don't get me wrong. I'm sure people don't like me and don't think what I do is right. But I've always sensed a sense of privilege that I was allowed to go in after and try and then say what do we do next well, you've done that better than me and more than me uh, i don't know why i'm making this about ourselves <laughs> it's that bit of the it's the direct in your face protest that alerts the world that there's an issue and they did it brilliantly i think what they did uh they did a couple of things uh, they disclosed the thing but a couple of things that stand out for me first of all up until dan everything was very polite Disabled people asked and were respect, you know, respectful and all this kind of stuff. And when Dan came along with the Barbaras and the Allens and, and many others, they became frightening. I mean, establishment got scared of them. They were doing things that had never been done by disabled people really before. They had in America and stuff. But, the, you know, chaining to buses, throwing paint at the steps, climbing, you know, picketing outside uh, the Houses of Parliament, chaining themselves, all that direct stuff. And it, it made brilliant television because obviously the news media loved it when someone got out their wheelchair and climbed up the steps of St Paul's Cathedral or something. Um, they, I've often thought that what we don't have in the disability movement now is we don't, we don't scare people enough, you know, and I think, for example, the, the race the race issues that are still ongoing, hugely, still a major issue, the establishment are very frightened about what black people think about, whereas I think Dan did that for disability, in my view. And they were very courageous. Let's not underestimate how much this took out of the people doing it. I mean, they were incredibly courageous. Some of them were severely disabled people. I've just talked about me falling over. 
good God. I mean, these people were doing stuff that put deliberately put them at risk from their conditions and whatever else. Amazing people. All uh, of them. A couple of thoughts on that. I, um, I remember I was around early enough to remember if something went wrong, say you were denied access, someone was treated poorly, the, the, the rabble rouse would go around, the message would go around, Dan's coming. Dan's get, get Dan in there, the, the direct <laughs> action network. And it was a threat that would terrify people. We wouldn't say, oh, we use the legislation. We'll go, all right, we're going to get Dan down here. And they go, all right, we'll sort it, we'll sort it. Um, and that was amazing because they just couldn't. The bit about the, the courageousness, I, I sometimes think people aren't born to do this, but there's something about them. If I'm being over the top here, my fear is, when the the fight's gone and certain, certain things have moved on, I think people can lose their purpose because that was what they were about. And you've got to almost, do you then become part of the establishment? Well, you can't because it's the antithesis of what you're about. How do you, Baroness Jane Campbell has, has morphed from that direct action into being part of the establishment and still yeah. holding her own. But not yeah. everyone can because people have still got that fury <clears throat> in them. Well, Dan was of its time. You know, there was much to, to you needed Dan. It was really, I mean, I remember their free hour people where they took on the residential care settings, Leonard Cheshire in particular, um, came under their scrutiny and my goodness me. Um, they focused things. They, they were like a sort of magnifying glass. They picked an issue and they magnified it. And, and you're right. They, the people, <laughs> I, you know, the telethon, we've talked about telethon, but Dan were really very involved in the uh, getting rid of telethon and Telethon was scared witless of them because they did not want their sets upset by all these weird disabled people. It was, but they, but you're right. Once the the DDA came in, Disability Discrimination Act came in. In some ways, that took some of the impetus out of the campaigns. There was still a lot to do, but but you know, people could then say, "Well, you've got your blooming act. What's the matter with you?" Because Dan saw it very differently. But you're right; people move on eventually. But you're well. The problem is, but not everyone does. That that was what they still want to do, and they're that you know, you're lost. You're you're without purpose, um, or there's not enough fury that people do. I wonder the equivalent. You're saying people aren't angry enough now. There can be if something goes a bit weird, there or you know, someone's treated poorly. It's social media. It will light up. You'll have thousands and thousands, and it's this rush of something for i don't know two days and sometimes people are shamed into changing or they ride it out but is that the equivalent now because you won't get people going to do a a, a demo or a protest maybe but not on disability there so are, no there are still protests but i don't think they're of that magnitude and not they're not dead yet, for, yeah they have, not yeah. dead yet that kind of thing um that's that's very you know that's a direct action group um but you're right. You know, I think some people, that is their moment. You know, I don't know about Barbara and Alan. Barbara's gone on and done all sorts of other things too. And I don't know what Alan's been up to other than I see from the photos of him, he's still campaigning away out there doing stuff. So he's clearly still in the fight sort of thing. But, you know, that Dan and Barbara and Alan's roles were of that time and they focused all of us, you know, that those of us who were, as you say, more pragmatic, who weren't taking direct action, we were able to use the door opening that they provided to go through and say, you've got to change things, otherwise they're going to come back. 
I wonder, they've obviously used the love story of the two of them meeting and that's the sort of drive of this. And there will be so many other people and I hope they all get a mention and a shout out or there's someone playing them. Um, I also hope they capture. Imagine if people see a photo of uh, disabled people campaigning or a protest and I suspect, I don't know, half the audience are, oh, bless them and look, they're doing their thing and, and they, they've got a sort of weird judgment. What I hope this television show shows the feeling of power and that when you are campaigning and you're there with your friends, your colleagues, you're doing something and the disability thing is so strong within you. It is one of the best feelings. I haven't even done Dan. I've just been hanging out with people where I just get this pride and it's so strong. So I hope the television show manages to portray that that feeling we talked about it, invincibility that you can change the world you can make things right i hope they get that in that television show yeah i mean just to kind of finish i mean dan was a specific group i'm not finishing don't you close me down phil i'll get dan on you don't you finish me don't you shut me down i know your time i i remember being at a meeting where they locked themselves in a hotel <laughs> where david blunkett was going to come along and they refused to open all the doors they had a particular way of going about things and they focused on one issue or one topic and then went for it but we have to remember your point is really important because the independent living movement had a lot of other people in it that were doing stuff that wasn't quite like dan but was direct action in its own way so the story of the independent living movement um with people like Jane Campbell again and uh, Sean Vasey. And I mean, the fact is that that was also going on at the same time. What Dan was doing was in a sense, just going to a place and causing mayhem about an issue. And then they moved to another place. So one minute they were in Birmingham new street station, stopping all the trains. The next minute they're in Downing street, chucking paint at people, you know, it's, but they always had a topic. Whereas the independent living movement went on and on and on. It kept grinding away at the issues. But Dan helped propel that. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if the program catches any of that because they were an important part of disability rights. Uh, I know it's co-directed by uh, a friend of ours, a chap called Bruce Goodison, who we've worked with before, who's yeah. full on. And I spoke, and, But there's also a co-director with someone who is disabled, uh, and that's bad that I can't remember his name. But I think, you know, disabilities throughout this production, there's no faffing. I also know the BBC are really pushing it, so I'm really pleased. There's a real sort of sense of pride, and you can see gongs and BAFTAs flying all over the place on this one. But... Um, it's about the fight. Yes. Come on. Piss on pity. Thank you for listening to The Way We Roll with Simon Minty and Phil Friend. I mean, talking about, as we just were, the uh, the, the Alan and uh, Barbara's scenarios, we can't not mention um, the what's going on in Ukraine at the moment and, and the impact of that war on, on – I mean, every, the pictures are just horrific. Um but I just thought it would be worth just saying, how are disabled people doing in this thing? Because um, I read a piece in, in The Guardian and it was basically just saying, uh, and, you know, I'm a wheelchair user, how do you get into a, yeah. an air raid shelter? I mean, where, do you, where are you safe? How do you, the streets are full of rubble. How do you go anywhere? Um, if you're an electric wheelchair, how do you charge it? 
you know, I mean, the drugs that people need to take, all of that stuff. There have been mentions of the plight that some disabled people face in Ukraine, but uh, I suppose as, as often the case, they're sort of last on the list again. Moving pictures of older people, particularly older women, being carried by I saw one very elderly woman being pushed along in a shopping trolley because that was the only thing available. Things like that. It is unbelievably horrific. I have no idea what it must be like to be in that situation. Um, I, I'm like you, and I, there is a few people who've done pieces, which is great because I don't want those voices to be lost. I mean, as a a declaration, we looked at trying to get some disabled people from Ukraine on the show and do a dedicated podcast. Um. And we reached out through organisations and, and we felt awkward about it. But unsurprisingly, there's just too much pressure that people are under too much stress to pop up on a bloody podcast with with us two. Um, but like you, you think of the physical challenges, just getting in and out of uh, the tubes. I mean, if it happened in London, you've got 30 percent of the tubes you can get in, but the others can't. Once the lift's gone, I I have these best of time i'm also thinking about my scooter. i've got to charge my scooter every night you know what, what am i going to do um i always think best of times worst of times we try and believe that disability rights are embedded in the u the uk or in other countries um but when this happens do we suddenly as everything dropped it's like i'm sorry we can do it in the good times but now it's not and there's a flip side i imagine the best of humanity comes out and there is support and you know, uh, I hope people are being listened to, not just being cared for, if that doesn't sound too crass. Um, but, uh, yeah, like you, I can't imagine what it's like. Um, and it feels ineffectual of what we can actually do right now as well. Uh, yeah, shout out to our um, fellow Ukrainian um, people, disabled people particularly. Uh, let's just hope it gets peaceful and better soon. So as is our custom, we have Jeff Spink with us today to give us the benefit of his viewing or reading or whatever habits. Uh, how are you, Jeff? Oh, good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you guys? Good, thanks. I'm very well too. So what have you got, Jeff? What's, what's, what, what's occupying your mind? Well, I've been watching uh, a number of things recently, but the, the standout uh, C series for me is something called Yellow Jackets, and it's on Sky slash Now TV. Simon will be pleased to know. Um, and it's a really, it's it's a sort of, if you like, reworking of the Lord of the Flies theme, where you know what happens when a bunch of teenagers have to fend for themselves and there are no rules and they have to make their rules and sometimes the rules break down. Basically, they're on their way to a soccer match uh, from New Jersey to probably somewhere in the West, like Washington State, and their plane crashes in the wilderness. Miraculously, they all survive, uh, but not the pilots, of course. And uh, it, it's them, one guy, uh, one young guy and their coach, and it's them in the wilderness. But the, the 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 slick thing that's done in this series is that it's split between then, which is in the mid nineteen nineties, and now, which is in that in their terms twenty twenty one. So you see all of these characters twenty five years down the line, and you what you know is that something dreadful 
happened when they were in the wilderness. They were there for 19 months before they got rescued. So they had plenty of time to go a bit crazy and perhaps do some things that might mark them for life. But you don't actually get to know that in season one. And there is only season one so far. You know that things go a little, that, that you know, the wheels fall off a little bit. But I, I think, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to have to wait for the next season and the next season and the next season for the whole thing to unfold properly and find out how bad it became. I'm I'm obviously thinking that someone's eating somebody because uh, that's what you do, a bit of cannibalism. But was, I'm, I'm thinking of Lost. Do you remember Lost? There's that kind of all stranded on the island. Um, but this is teenagers, is it? This is teenagers. Um, and what they've done is they, of, of course, they've got, um, there are four central young females who then we see 25 years later. So we don't know what happened to the rest of the team. Were they were they eaten? Did they die of starvation? Were they taken by bears or wolves or whatever? Nice. But you, you then get to see how the trauma in the wilderness suddenly sort of, or not suddenly, but gradually over time, uh, weaves its way into their daily life. So one of the one of the principal characters, for example, thinks nothing of when she sees rabbits nibbling on her garden, just taking out her gun, shooting them and putting them in, putting them in the cooking pot because that's how she learned to survive, obviously. Mm. And I guess for a, a suburban American housewife, that would be, uh, you know, not within their skill set normally. Uh, you'd be surprised. I've met quite a few. They like getting the guns out. <laughs> but the relationships between the... But, sorry, the relationships between the women are very interesting. You know, it, it ranges from extreme love to extreme repulsion to uh you know what happened to the one that nobody liked what how did she how did she get on um you know what happened to the one that had a crush on the on the high on the uh on the soccer coach and by the way the soccer coach was injured in the crash and one of the girls takes an axe and has to whack off his leg above the knee so it's it, it's it's kind of no holds barred really there's a disability angle then We've got an amputee in there now, have we? There's definitely an amputee there, or it's a lot of very good CGI. <laughs> well, I do like the sound of, uh, you imagine if you've been through a trauma like that, you either are best friends for life or you just don't want to ever see each other again. I could, that does make sense. What's the Yellow Jackets? What's, what's the link there? What does that mean? I think that's the name of the soccer team that, you know, ah. the, the high school soccer team. They are the Yellow Jackets. And guess what? They wear yellow jackets. Right. That's their thing. And is this is anybody in it that we've kind of heard of, or are they, all these new new actors? Yeah, there there there, there are no big name stars uh, to my mind in this uh, series, but there is uh, a, a an actor called Melanie Linksky, who, as a teenager, starred in a film with Kate Winslet, and of course, Kate Winslet went on to a lot of fame, success, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and Melanie Linsky, you know, was on the fringes of Hollywood and had walk-on parts in the odd movie. But now, suddenly, uh, in her mid-40s, she's uh, achieved mega-celebrity. And, uh, and she, she's quite modest about her success, but she, she plays an incredible role. And, you know, what the, the casting directors have to be complimented here, because... Of course, you've got different actors playing the teens from the 40-somethings, 
but they've managed to match the look and the body language and the mannerisms and the voices to such an extent that even somebody like me who has face blindness actually knows which uh, middle-aged, shall we wow. say, lady is the equivalent of the late teens uh, soccer player. That is impressive. I was, I'm thinking there's a film, was it Boyhood, where they filmed the same person over 15 years? I haven't done that here. This is just brilliant recasting, or as it were. But um, It's brilliant casting. Fantastic. I, I like the sound of it. it um, is it so this is a season, and it's a season one, it's on Sky and now? So is that free, or is it Sky Atlantic, so we've got to pay extra? I think it's Sky Atlantic, so you've got to pay extra, or you can get the free subscription to Now TV and then cancel it if you can remember to cancel it. I know, but Jeff, you say that to me every month. I've run out of free subscriptions now. Well, you just you, you, you do what you normally do and subscribe in different names. You either. Mr. <laughs> Mr. P. Friend and Mr. G. Spink. Roman Abramovich. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think really this is one of those things where it's it's an investment. You know, by the end of season one, I'm not going to give any spoilers away because I just want people to enjoy it. But by the end of season one, you just know it's setting itself up for a multi-season run. I would suggest wow. perhaps five or six seasons. So it's it, it's got the potential to be a sort of Breaking Bad or a Sopranos or a Mad Men type investment in time and, and equally rewarding for people like me who love binge watching. Excellent. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. So Simon's got to get his wallet out and invest in Now TV again. Um, and you said it was on Sky Atlantic for those that have it. So it's great. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff. That's been really useful. I look forward to having a peep at that, see, see what it's like. Um, and we'll see you next time. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye, guys. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. We had a message. It's a lovely message. Uh, last month's show did very well in what I mean by that. Lots of people listened, lots of people talked about it. It was called Don't You Forget About Me. And it was. It came out the day before, the, uh, the day after COVID restrictions in the UK were uh, lifted. And it was five different immunocompromised or clinically extremely vulnerable, inverted commas, people talking about how they were feeling. Um, one person, Alex Cowan, she's a regular listener to the show. Um, she loves on our email that we put that button. You just click on the button and you go straight to the show. I know quite a few people who do that. Anyway, she said it made me extremely emotional. It was very interesting. It's a very good program. Made me feel angry, but also more confident about the state, what my needs and my preferences are about keeping myself safe and taking care of myself. Thank you. And thank you to all the contributors for a really important show. Um, thank you, Alex, for dropping us a line. It was uh, lovely to hear that. In addition to Alex, our listeners' corner, we've got listener guest corner. Uh, Sarah Baxter, host, uh, was on our show last month, the immunocompromised one, and she has recorded uh, an update, and she's got some pretty epic news. So we will let Sarah explain. Hi, Simon. Hi, Phil. It's Sarah Baxter here. I thought I'd do you a voice note as an update to the show I was on around being on immunosuppressants and my thoughts on the country unlocking. Ironically, just three days after the show was released, I contracted COVID. I had, I was social. I had some friends to my house the first time in two years. They all did lateral flow tests and we socialized. We watched a movie 
and the next day one of them tested positive. A few days later I got a you know wild temperature, my temperature was up to 39, I had a banging headache. So I sent off my priority PCR test, which had been provided to me by the NHS and proceeded to sort of treat myself with paracetamol and cold pack to try and keep the fever down. Less than 12 hours after getting my positive PCR result, I had been enrolled in a trial for the antiviral drugs, the new antivirals, and I'd taken my first dose. It was an absolutely amazing process and I thought your listeners might be interested to know that when the worst thing that could have happened to me did, the thing that I've been frightened of for the last two years, actually happened. I mean, the process really worked. I had a positive PCR test on this Wednesday morning. By Wednesday lunch, I'd had a phone call enrolling me in a trial for the antivirals, explaining that it could either be tablets or it could be an IV infusion in a hospital of um, medication. I couldn't choose, it was randomised, but then I was later informed I'd be on tablets and a script, a prescription was written for me and sent to the hospital pharmacy for, um, I managed to enlist a friend to go and pick it up for me because I live by myself. So by 5.30 that night, I had my first dose of, of antivirals and it was just amazing. After a day of taking the antivirals, I started to feel pe better. The fever had come down and I didn't have a headache. Um, I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell, but I had no appetite at all but by day four i thought oh i could i could fancy a, I could fancy some cereal and then unbelievably on day six i did a lateral flow and was negative and again on day seven so i had a huge turnaround within three days of being very positive to you know then testing negative like since i've got covid and recovered and obviously this would be a very different update if i had not recovered feel like a massive relief has lifted off my shoulders not only because I've met Covid and you know beaten it but the process works somewhere there was a big red telephone that rang Sarah's PCR test is positive let's get the antiviral wheels kicked into gear and it absolutely worked and sometimes I don't have a lot of faith that things will wake, work in the way that I would need to but, but this was absolutely brilliant. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that I am much better. It's two weeks now since I tested positive. Um, but here I am. And I hope that your listeners can take some, I don't know, comfort from this. Not that I recovered, but the most important bit is that the process really worked for a clinically vulnerable person like me. The, the process of getting me the antivirals and having me enrolled in that trial was absolutely seamless. And I can only applaud the NHS for making that possible. What do you think of that, Mr. Friend? I just think that's fantastic because not, not she, she, that she got COVID because that isn't fantastic, but the treatment she received, the reassurance. The thing is she felt so reassured afterwards that the system works, and I think that's brilliant. So those of you out there who remember what Sarah was saying before, Gareth, um, this is great. It's good news. Uh, and if Denise or Jen want to refer our American uh guests if you would love to know what would happen in the us if you got covid does yeah. that sort of thing kick in to support you uh thank you sarah um it was so kind of you to send something more we are glad you are safely with us and um well done the system for once that's brilliant 
it touched a nerve, didn't it, in a lot of people. I've had one or two, not not that we would put in, in listeners' corner necessarily, but just one or two people saying they found the show really useful and interesting. I mean, I, so I, is it too early to talk about awards for that show? Is it too soon? Well, well. I've yeah. heard rumours. I, I rumors. started those rumours. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe we get Sarah to go up because if the award ceremony is in an inaccessible stage, you and I won't be able to get up there. So Sarah's going to have to get up no. and take it. Yeah, it'll be down yeah. to Sarah. What about Gareth? What will he do? What, Gareth what's will his be role? able to go up and get the award, but then he'll probably do 10 minutes of stand-up. Because uh, he's a comedian, <laughs> and they'll be going, "Oh, you know, I mean, just talk about your immunocompromise, not your comedy." Uh, <laughs> and uh, listener, if you have ideas for the show, we're interested. Um, I'll give you a little heads up: we we're going to talk to Sophie Morgan, who is a television presenter here in the UK. She's got a new book coming out called Driving Forwards. Uh, we're going to get her on in September and do a proper interview with her but we always have the idea uh, we always look for ideas and guests and contributors so let us know um we're on yeah i can i add to that um we we've got on our list of subjects we haven't got far with this because it's down to me to do so um but we're looking at this kind of cancel culture woke cancel culture you know the idea that if you put your hand above the parapet you get it shot off um we're thinking about doing a show on that. If if any of you know somebody who's got strong views or is connected into that conversation, then do let me or Simon know because we'd be really interested. We think it's an interesting topic and subject that we should have a look at. Um, so let us know. We'll give you the email. In I really like that. And I wonder where there's the link with disability as well and um, you know do we censor each other or you know different anyway i'm going to go into it that's a great idea okay i think we're done aren't we mr minty uh yes uh drop us an email our email address is <laughs> minty and friend at gmail.com uh we are on beacon which is you can see everything youtube uh latest shows popular shows mailing lists and we are obviously on YouTube, on Twitter, and um, Facebook. So, yeah, and LinkedIn. So come find us. Come send us a message. Yeah, good to hear from you. Take it easy, everybody, and we'll see you very soon. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com or just search for Minty and Friend on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.